So imagine if Americans switched from pounds to kilograms overnight. There would be mass confusion. Two guys walk into a bar. Two guys walk into a bar. Two guys walk into a bar. The first boy says, he goes, well, first he goes up to the bartender, of course. And the third one, Jeff. This isn't a joke or anything. It's just another example of what can happen. The second guy says, well, the bartender, okay. Well, the second guy says, he comes up and he's like, Cut to, <laughs> uh, like, 20 years later. Joan Rivers is the bartender. Are you going to buy me drinks all night to the point where I get so drunk that I end up having sex with you later? That's right. My Uncle Joe the drunk. At one time, he's in a bar. He's making a lot of noise. And this woman comes over. And the third one, Jeff. The bartender looks up and says, get the fuck out of here. Six bouncers hurled me out of a nightclub like I was a Frisbee. And the bartender's all like, he comes up, you know. Look at that guy. He's wasted in a bar. I came here to read a novel. So these two guys walk into a bar, right? And the third one, Jeff. Welcome to Third One Ducks, the comedy podcast that, frankly, isn't very good. Mm-hmm. Um, as always, that's Patrick, and I'm Brady. Yep. And together, uh, we make a fine soup. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, there's some cheese in it. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, today we're, uh, we're talking about Steve Martin, and the album is Let's Get Small, which is yes, a... Indeed. Actually, kind of a good album title. I agree with that. I agree with that a lot. Yeah. Um, so, I'm going to close all these bad jokes windows here. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit that I pull my bad jokes off the internet. Um, I, I didn't write <laughs> I don't write most of the mass things. confusion one wasn't you. Oh n- no, but it, that one actually is kind of clever. I, I, that it, it is clever. It is clever. Yeah, it's. I, I don't. I don't just pick the worst bad jokes. I pick the, you know, the ones that, uh, um, you know, if people don't get them, they're not listening to this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. And that's fine by me. So yeah, how's it going, Patrick? You know things are uh, going pretty well. Going pretty well. So uh, we've we've had some interesting weather of late, but that's not interesting enough to talk about. So I'll just leave it at that. How are things with you, Brady? Um, good. I was just I you know I think the last uh, couple times we talked, you were talking about having knee problems. How's how's that going for you? <laughs> you know, I I thought I was pretty much out of the woods. It kind of. Uh, has been annoying again i think more so we so it's been my right knee a couple of days ago i my left ankle was upset with me mainly because i've been walking incorrectly to not put any weight on my right knee and then eventually my left ankle was like hey man yeah. uh, you can't do that um but they both feel fine today so hopefully that uh hopefully that stays going yeah, good deal. Uh, you know, um, it's funny. A um, couple years ago, I had tendonitis um, in my ankles. 
Oh, sure. And it, it would switch off. You know, sometimes it was fine, but sometimes it was the left one and sometimes it was the right one. And um, went on vacation. I went to Europe and um, just based on just all the walking we did, it, it went away. Mm. It, it went away and uh, has, okay. has never come back. Um, so it was just weird that uh, that time I had to exercise it out. Um, sure. Because I'd gone to physical therapy and all that, and that had not worked up to that point. I even had a boot. Um, okay. And I brought it with me to Europe, but I never actually wore it there because, um, wow, what a pain in the ass that would be. Because you got to walk everywhere on cobblestones, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that's your case, that, you know, you should just walk it off. No, um, it, it actually has been. It, it's definitely a thing where, like, when it hurts most is when I go from sitting for a long time to walking around. Like, it's just those first few. Like, once I'm up and around, like, it's pretty fine, but... Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well, good deal. Who knows? Well, hopefully that uh, you figure out what's going on there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> um, yeah, I was just um, sitting here thinking... Um, I'm trying to remember what the last episode we did was. And... Um, Cosby. Was Cosby, okay. Um, I'm, I'm thinking we might be short on content here. Um, because I th- What? Yeah, I think I'm getting... I think I'm releasing Cosby this week. Oh, um, that's sort of short on content. Yeah, I, I, I think that's the case. I think I'll be editing that either later tonight or tomorrow. Um, unless I, you know, happen to find one. Uh, but we just did... Um, but anyway, I'm just uh, yes, uh, folks. Through the magic of podcasting, we generally record these uh, a few at a time, uh, just in case we can't get together and record during a week. We still mm-hmm. have some content to release, um, or you know, somebody goes on vacation or whatever. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, we're, we're running a little short, and uh, at some point, we we'll probably should have to do you know a couple in a week or something like that, just to build up the uh, buffer a little bit more. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, uh, um, some inside baseball, I guess, uh, I've been looking at buying like, uh, gear to like, you know, do this mobily and possibly in person somewhere. Um, and I've just haven't done that. Um, mainly because, you know, the, the, the Scotsman in me is, uh, um, doesn't want to, you know, write that check, um, the proverbial check, because it would be mm-hmm. on- online, basically. Um, yeah, very few checks are being written these days, but yeah, I do yeah. get the proverbial. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I, you know, need to do that so that, uh, you know, it's it's going to be more convenient for both you and I to get together and do this. Um, sure, sure, definitely. Plus, it'll, I think it'll be easier to get like, guests if they're in the same room. Um, it's easier to, um, for those of you who listened to the episode where uh, Tom was with us, um, there were some definite audio issues with uh, Tom's situation there. 
um, mm-hmm. uh, which is why we haven't done a guest since, um, mainly because, uh, it, you know, I, while again, this is, you know, frankly, not a very good podcast. I, um, you know, that's just something we say. I, I, I don't want to put out something that's just, uh, not good. Um, we want to keep it frankly, not very good. We don't ever want to touch bad. Right. Right. We don't want to, we don't want to touch like meh. Mm, yeah, definitely um, no meh. Um, you know, although I, I'm sure that's happened at some point uh, during our run here. Um, this is probably, I don't know what episode this is going to be. I think this might be, uh, this uh, might be number, this, this is either 10 or 11, I think. Wow, double digits. Right, which is, I never thought we'd get this far. Um, no. Right? So, um, hooray for us. Um, yeah. I should add some cheering in here. Um, Ooh. Right. Um, hey! Ah! I'll, I'll just use the um, the background audio from, you know, when Bill Burr roasts um, Philadelphia. Did you ever listen to that? Oh, probably, but maybe not. I don't know. Uh, so, so the setup is, th- it's this like stupid like two day festival or something, and it's the second day, and uh, they're they're doing a bunch of comedians at this point, and apparently Dom Herrera, you mer- you know Dom Herrera, comedian. Uh, the name sounds familiar, but he's not. Yeah, he hasn't done anything for uh, a bit here, at least not that I've seen. But uh used to be like on Comedy Central a lot. But anyway, uh, apparently he's up there and he's just getting booed and just people are just like mm. just yelling shit, you know, and like not paying attention. And this is like a full stadium full of people. Right. And sure. um so like this happens to comedian after comedian and and Bill Burr comes up and he's just fucking pissed at this point. Right. Like. Mm-hmm. And so he just starts going in on. Uh, fuck you and your football team. You're all going to die of uh, heart disease. And he's like, and he keeps going like, I got nine more minutes. And, and like on every minute, he's just like, I got eight more minutes. And he just, just goes on this tirade, just like bashing everything about Philadelphia. And it's, yeah. it's, and, and eventually he wins over the crowd and they love, they start cheering because it's just so, he just keeps going and doesn't repeat himself a whole lot. Um, so it's, it's funny. He just wins them over. And by the end of it, they're just loving it. Um, and um, Good, good. Yeah, it's just it's, it's really funny to <clears throat> listen to. There's no uh, the video recordings of that all are like, you know, from cell phone shaky cam. And I believe it's from like 2009 or something. So the um, quality is horrible for the video, but the audio uh, survives. And um, it's just like this magical moment um, that, you know, if you're listening, uh, just go on YouTube. Um, just type Bill Burr Philadelphia into your YouTube search and you will find it. It's um, interesting. And there's even I'm- like Howard Stern episodes based on that, just around that. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's good. Stuff. I'm glad he was able to win over the crowd. That's always been something in comedy that I haven't been able to relate to. 
of any any of a number of comics uh, will be like, oh yeah, I went to this place and I just started like tearing them apart and they hated me. And living my life in the metropolitan area that is Omaha, Nebraska, and into Council Bluffs, Iowa, I just have never really been able to relate to the idea that someone could come in and start uh, insulting your town and the majority of the crowd wouldn't completely agree with it. Because if you did go to Omaha and just start, oh, this sucks, that sucks, this is terrible, most people would be like, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there are definitely... There are definitely those Philadelphias and New Orleans and Chicago's out there that really love themselves. Right. I mean, among uh, among other cities, don't get me wrong. Right. I mean, so being able to do that takes so many different variables. Like you have to be the kind of person that's not going to let them let you, you know, like you're not going to bomb because you're just going to just keep going. Yeah. I mean, um, just to be so persistent about it, to have you to know that you have so many minutes um, and they're not going to pull you off um, just because you're bashing that town. Um, mm-hmm. Just there's just so many things at play there that um, I don't know. I think it's a very special moment in comedy history and yeah. I, it's not likely to you know happen again. Um, yeah, I guess. Now that I'm thinking through it, the main place where my first comment was coming from is there was a, and this is definitely not in our pre-2000 time frame that we, we've chosen to focus on, but there is a Daniel Tosh album, I want to say 06 or 07, somewhere in there that he does in LA, and he does a few Omaha jokes, and then starts talking about how he did those jokes in Omaha and they hated it, and I'm just sitting there like, no, those jokes would kill in Omaha, like we would completely agree with, it's a lot of like looking for a tornado to take us anywhere else, fried mayonnaise balls. Like it's a lot of just that sort of thing. I'm like, <laughs> no, we would not be insulted. No, um, not at all. I mean, it, they're pretty spot on. Um, yeah, it's just like, what's the first thing that you know we do when the tornado siren goes off? Is well, we go outside. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Let's pull out our. I remember. Um, this is probably a few years ago now, but I think it was it was one of the lakes just to the east of the Omaha and Iowa or Nebraska Iowa border. One of the lakes had some like weird mini tornado. I think it was Manawa, and I just remember going outside, and you can see this like blister in the distance, but just everyone else has also gone outside, and everyone has their phones up and are just taping this thing. Which is a lot different than the old, like, oh, tornado watch, let's all get to our basement. There or was, else we'll end up in Oz sort of things. There was a water spout over Lake Manawa once. And um, I saw it on the internet. Some dude went out on his boat and, like, just was sitting right next to it and, like, stuck his hand in it. And, like, it was just All this right. weird thing where, like, there was enough power to, like, do that water spout, but it didn't really affect him at all. It was just very strange. Um, and I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't, you know, actually watched it um, and actually been local to the area enough to, like, realize that this was a real thing. Yeah, you know? no, somebody definitely did that. 
Right. It wasn't like CGI or anything. It was just like, okay, this happened. Um, and that's crazy to me. Um, well, because I think there is a real thing in the Omaha metro area, and I would say in particular in the Iowa part of the Omaha metro area, that is, it, it's kind of like the Rocky Four thing where if you see something, you want to go do it, and, and just from a Rocky Four standpoint, just, eh, if I die, I die. <laughs> but I'm going to put my hand in that water. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say particularly on the Council Bluff side. Um, Hell yeah. You know, it's funny. When you first started talking, I thought you were talking about the Oma Dome, which nope. uh, which I, I think I need to explain for the audience. So um, there's this weird phenomena. Do, 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 do. Um, phenomena. In, yeah, in, in Omaha to where, like, these huge storms will just come through the area and basically split and go around Omaha. It happens very often, and um, I I assume that it's something with the fact that you know the city's warmer than the area surrounding it, or something like that. Um, but it's just this very weird thing, and so like the locals, we call it the Omadome, um, because you know it's just this this weird thing. Um, I'm sure there's a perfectly good scientific explanation for that, um, but I sure don't know what it is. Yeah, I do not know. Um, you know, now that we're done with that thrilling conversation about the weather. Um, yeah, yeah, we've we've <laughs> talked a fair amount about the weather. We've talked about Omaha, Nebraska, so we can turn our attention to a man who, depending on who you ask, was either born a poor black child in Alabama, or or a white boy in Waco, Texas. Steve Martin himself. Right. And you know that uh, I was born a poor black child is uh, most people know it from The Jerk, mm-hmm. the movie The Jerk, um, which uh, if you have not seen that, folks, um, get on that today. Um, it's a wonderful, Definitely. wonderful, wonderful movie. Um, and it's it's I, I would I would you know, I might watch it later today. In fact, um, it's just that good of a movie um but with like a title that makes it seem like it's gonna not be very good yeah um anyway so um that line apparently originates in this album which i didn't know um and i i used to use that line on a lot of my bios in um social media or um instant messengers or whatever um, and then so many people were just like, oh, you're a racist. It's like, no, it's just a, it's a, it's just absurdism. Really yeah. is what the joke is. It's like, obviously, I was not born a poor black child. Um, that's it's obvious. That's why it's funny. Um, but anyway, yeah. um, I appreciate on this album that he does do the poor black child and then he talks about some sort of music which i i don't remember the band and i didn't recognize them but he says oh and then i fell in love with this style of music and i uh, decided to be white and <laughs> in some ways that works better in some ways it works worse than the way they handle it in the jerk but at any rate it was it was an interesting way to that 
particular joke. Yeah. Um, who who was the dad in uh, the jerk? There was that. Jo- oh, I'm remembering it's John Amos, but I don't. I might not be right on that. I'm thinking I'm wrong on that. No. Yeah, it's not just, John Amos. It's just because um, John Amos is is generally the father figure in a lot of these uh, movies with a black cast, at least in yeah. this, this area of uh, film and television. So I, I think it is somebody else. Um, but, you know... The, yeah, uh, a quick wiki search is suggesting that it's a uh, Richard Ward. Okay. Not, not familiar with his body of work, but um, he did a good job in that movie. Yeah. Being the dad. Yeah. Son, this here is Shinola. That there is shit. And then he proceeds to step in the shit. Uh, he being Steve Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I don't know, it's just such a funny, funny scene. Um, I don't, do, do, do people use that term anymore? You don't know shit from Shinola? I don't believe I've heard that, no. Well, I mean, I guess I I know Shinola was a product of some sort. Um, I don't sure. know if it was hair gel or... Um, so, and anyway, so I, why would people use you don't know shit from Shinola? Uh, because um, people don't know Shinola. Um, people sure do know shit, though. Um, yeah. But anyway, that was an old, old popular term and so at the time, that joke was pretty damn funny. Definitely. Um, and, of course, uh, the jerk ties in Steve Martin with another uh, well, half of a comedy duo that we reviewed earlier on this show uh, because the jerk was directed by Carl Reiner. Uh, yes. Um, and and I, I think this is Carl Reiner's legacy, right, where um, – he, he may not have been in a lot of uh, these uh, excellent movies, but he sure did direct a lot of them. Definitely, definitely. Well, that and... Uh, you never want to say that somebody's legacy is something that isn't them, but also a fair amount of his legacy, I think, is Rob. Um, I, I don't know if I, I... I think both of them stand on their own. Oh, I don't disagree with that at all. Sure. Um, and, and I mean, you're not going to mention one without the other ever, like in a biopic. Right. Um, right. They're, they're both going to be in there. Um, but I would say that, you know, Carl Reiner definitely like had a wonderful career. And, um, you know, the kind of people that listen to this podcast on a regular basis, um, we don't really need to explain who Carl Reiner is or what his legacy was um, mm-hmm. just because uh, I think it's pretty inherent, you know, unless you're new to like the whole being a comedy nerd thing. And if you are welcome um, and, you know, obviously, you know, if, if you're trying to like intake things like a sponge, um, we don't need to tell you to go check this out because you're gonna um, and rightfully so. Definitely. Um just because, you know, just some things are universal. Um, 
Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. I guess that's all I have to say on that. In fact, I probably have a lot more to say on it, but... Um, fair, fair. You know, my cat has started to bother me, like, a lot, like, wanting pets, and it's really distracting. Um, mm-hmm. But I love my kitty. I'm, I'm trying to push him away gently and just be like, no, go over here. But he's very insistent. Um, and uh, th- that's another reason why I'd like to go mobile with our podcasting setup is I cat he is very distracting so yeah so we've touched on it for a fair amount uh but obviously we're talking about Steve Martin um in 1977 let's get small came out platinum album made it all the way up to number 10 on the billboard uh hot 200 um and was his uh debut as far as albums go right and thank you for doing the vitals because I completely spaced on that you know, we got there eventually. Yeah, good deal. Um, um, you know, the the whole let's get small thing is like a reference to um, some sort of um, slang about getting high. Um, so I, I, some, some sort of slang. Sure. It's a made-up slang that, you know, for this album. It, yeah, it's taking let's get high and turning it into let's get small. Which I think is hilarious just that concept Mm -hmm. in in and of itself is pretty funny um there's a lot to like about this album um it is very steve martin you're getting you know like you're if you understand steve martin at all you're getting uh what you expect out of this here yeah a lot of absurdism um it's very heavy on the absurdism um but you know, there's there's some other stuff that's you know a little bit more observational. Um, yeah. But but overall, it's you know it's an absurdism thing, and um, I don't know. It's just it's it's brilliant, and a lot of this like um, I I thought for years that you could never get away with this by like doing it like deadpan and without a lot of energy. You know, until, you know, Mitch Hedberg came around. Um, yeah. Which shows that you can do absurdism with just very monotone and just kind of tired energy. And it works just fine. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. There's a weird... And I felt this from the first few tracks of listening to this. There's a weird sort of just legitimate gravitas that Steve Martin has that I can't explain. And I don't know if he had earned it by the time this album came out, but by the audience's reactions, it sounds that he has. There are just certain things that, if it wasn't Steve Martin, I don't think it would work. Right. Just some of the, in particular on the album, like there are parts of this album that are very, very unpolished and are just him being like, odd. Right. I don't know if if anyone else could pull that off. But for some reason, he does. Right. There, there's plenty of this that if you wrote a transcript <laughs> of it out, uh, the jokes would just fall flat. Um, yeah. They, you know, if somebody else read it, um, they probably wouldn't understand the joke, for one. 
and for two, like it just would not work. Um, kind of like a like a Don Rickles kind of a thing where it's like, how does this guy get away with saying these things? Um, whereas you know anybody else would get punched in the face. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, you know Steve Martin definitely has like that sort of energy. I, uh, another comedian from the, the the same time I would say is Robin Williams. Uh, who, who could do that? Just um, make something funny that really is not funny, um, and just say it or present it in a way where it's it's just roll on the floor laughing. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that makes you know these kinds of comedians like it's not like there's people writing jokes for these people. Um, they can't, um, you know, obviously these guys see the world, um, I guess differently than us. And, um, they, they find humor in things that, and are able to bring out humor in things that normally would not be, um, funny. Yeah. I'll agree with that. And, um, that's a talent and it's rare. Um, and I, I, I think that, um, there are a lot of people who could be successful doing comedy like, um, you know, these two that, um, mm-hmm. probably will never get on stage, you know, um, just because their, their humor is so weird that, they've been told for years that it's not funny or whatever. And that, um, but then again, I've seen plenty of people try to do this sort of thing on stage and just fail miserably. Definitely. Um, so it's just, it's one of those things where you gotta have the, uh, tenacity and the balls to do it. Um, which it takes a lot more than just being a regular comic does. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so kudos to, you know, Steve Martin for being able to, um, you know, get to this level. Um, I, I have no idea what his early career looked like at all. I do know he was on the dating game though, before he, uh, started putting albums out. Um, yeah. which uh, if you find a clip of that, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, It's, uh, he, he walked the line of like being funny, but like also, um, getting it aired. Um, because, you know, they didn't realize that he was screwing with them. Um, right. Right. Uh, cause you um, know, they wouldn't have aired it otherwise. Right. Yeah. To, to your point of his early career, uh, a lot of his early career was much like a, a lot of other, um, maybe not comics that, are, well, I guess they're all comics. His early career probably follows a more similar trajectory of a lot of the, what would turn into uh, SNL comics. And obviously, despite never being part of the true cast is still part of the legacy of that show. Right. Um, 
But a lot of his early career was more on the writing side and then switched over to stand-up versus coming up in the more five minutes here, four minutes there side of things. But he was a writer for uh, Sonny and Cher had a show. Uh, the Smothers Brothers had a show. And, and um, he wrote for, uh, after the, the Dick Van Dyke show, Dick Van Dyke's, uh, I don't even know what the show was called, but one of his follow-up like variety shows after the Dick Van Dyke show was off. So a, a lot of what he did was writing for television and then branched out into I, I wouldn't even say stand-up. Obviously, this album is stand-up, but Steve Martin's just so everything. Uh, he, he's a stand-up, he's a writer, he's uh, obviously a sketch actor, he's a film actor. Yeah, and I don't know if it was Steve Martin or Robin Williams who said that um, they stopped doing stand-up because it became... It, it came to the point where they couldn't tell if their material was good or people were just expecting to laugh at them and he could go yeah. out and read a grocery list and people would just fall down dying. Um, I don't know which one of them said that, but um, it applies. That's a really interesting quote, though, and I... Yeah, they both hit that point. Right. Uh, to where, like, you know, even now, like, Steve Martin goes out and let's say he does like bring his grocery list and we're sitting in the audience and he comes out and starts reading it. Well, everybody knows immediately it's a bit right. Yeah. Or we think it's, a and bit. you just trust him that it's going to be brilliant. So even if it isn't, you say, Oh, clearly it is. Right. Or you're trying to find the joke where there is none like, Oh, the way he said broccoli, that must mean something. Um, it's just um yeah so like at that point why why bother doing stand up it's not um it's not challenging um for the audience yeah. or or the you know um artist i guess for lack of a better word um, well and one thing that came to mind several times listening to this album is the original back from 1979 the, the first muppet movie um, which, I mean, Jim Henson had such great, he's Jim Henson, so no shortage of people were willing to be involved in this thing. So you do have this film with some of the absolute A-lists of A-lists of all time of Milton Berle, L. Brooks, uh, Elliot Gold, Bob Hope, um, Orson Welles is in that fucking movie. Um... <laughs> And, but you do, ha but then you have the scene where like Piggy and Kermit are at this restaurant and Steve Martin shows up as the waiter. And for some reason, that scene is just very, very funny. And it probably shouldn't be nothing particularly hilarious happens, but just some of the banter between Kermit and Steve Martin. There's just, I, the thing about this album and about his whole career, I cannot explain what makes Steve Martin hilarious. Yeah. Like, with so many of these other people we've talked about, it's like, oh, they're incredibly clever. Oh, this, the speed that they go with. Oh, just intelligent. I don't, these aren't good examples that I'm giving right now. But there can be things that you hook onto 
Yeah, there's just there's just something about Steve Martin, and, and I can't explain him. it. Right, just uh, his body movements and just just how he reacts to things is funny. Um, and let's be honest, he's probably not even trying um, at that point. Um, people have said that, like, I don't, I'm not trying to brag, but people have said that about me, like on stage, which is like. The way you reacted to this thing just made me die. I'm like, oh, I wasn't even trying to be funny. Um, right. That's just that's just my natural reaction to something that absurd or that inane or whatever. Um. Yeah, that that apparently totally is a brag, but I'm not trying to go there. Um. Anywho. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got me thinking about the Muppets movies. And about how most of them are just horrible. Um, I would say. I had, I had a bigger point. I there. would say from the late 70s to the mid 90s, they were actually pretty solid. Um, I, well, I mean, I guess my point is whenever they swing over to like trying to be like a family movie, they're they just become horrible. Um. Whereas you know, the, yeah, no, it's 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 character driven stuff. Like the first, I, I remember. This is me, I'm not saying I'm defending the Muppets, but oh, okay, you have to take the creators have to take them completely seriously, or it doesn't work at all. Exactly, and that was something that Michael Caine said because he played Scrooge when they did the Muppets Christmas Carol in like nineteen. 19- 90 or 1991 and it was just like yeah i know i'm playing opposite muppets i'm going to play scrooge as if i'm with the royal shakespeare company you cannot blink you cannot wink you cannot even acknowledge that these are you know felt pieces right and so there's something that worked in those late 70s 80s and early 90s iterations of those characters that has not worked in the movies they've tried to make sense. Uh, well, I was, I was going to say, uh, that, since Hens- arguably Jim Henson's death, but I, I think they had a couple of them. Um, true. Right. I, I would say after Henson, they mostly fall off, but I'll still give them credit for both their Christmas Carol and treasure Island, which would have been early nineties. Okay. You know, my argument was that the first Muppet movie, what you were talking about, um, it's definitely golden. Uh, that movie is great. I believe it's the second one is the great Muppet caper. Um, I believe that's the second one. And that one was great. And then, you know, not so much. Um, I, I would even say that, you know, you know, I, I don't mind the Muppet Christmas Carol and I don't mind treasure Island, but, um, still not, um, cream of the crop. And then I, I think uh, when Jason Siegel came back and or came through and decided, hey, I'm I'm writing a Muppet movie, and that that first Muppets movie was great, um, you know, minus the rap scene, yeah, um, because nobody likes the rap scene. Um, I have not seen Muppets Most Wanted, but I hear it wasn't as good. Um, uh, the the other reason why. Um, that that first Muppets movie uh, reboot kind of a thing worked was um, 
Seagull one? Uh, yeah, the Seagull one was uh, the most sure. of the songs were written by Brett McKenzie from uh, Flight of the Concords. Um, oh, completely. Yeah, so, um, uh, you know, that guy is just great at writing, you know, funny songs. Um, and I, I don't know what he's been doing lately, but I know they're not really doing Flight of the Concords anymore because uh, mm-hmm. Jermaine's just like all over the place um, doing stuff. Um, but it, it seems like a, 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 in that duo that Brett is more the writer and then Jermaine's more the performer. Yeah. Um, which is Yeah, fun. and definitely the Jason Siegel Muppets kind of did have the ties back to what I think made the first Muppet movie work is we're going to have the Muppets, but then we're also going to bring in some of the top, uh, I guess, comics of the time to augment some of this. Um, Cause I mean, you do have in the Jason Siegel one, you've got Galifianakis shows up. Alan Arkish, Alan Arkin shows up. Uh, Jim Parsons is the like human version of uh, whatever the new Muppets name is. But you, you have like Whoopi's there, Donald Glover, Neil Patrick Harris. So you do have a lot of the like sitcom actors of that time, which would have been uh, somewhere between 09 and 2012. I'm not sure exactly yeah. where, but, but a similar sort of feel of here are some of the top not necessarily in that case stand-ups, but at least sitcom actors that are just there to have like a couple of cool moments and then Dip go out. away. Yeah. Um, like I really do think um, the two cameos from the Jason Siegel's, the Jason Siegel Muppets movie, and I acknowledge that this has nothing to do with Steve Martin, so we can get off of this pretty quickly. <laughs> the two ones that come most to mind. Are there's a scene towards the end where they're doing like a phone bankathon, and obviously it's Jason Siegel, who at that point was most well known for How I Met Your Mother. And they cut to all the different people answering the phones. Neil Patrick Harris picks up the phone, and just goes, "Yeah, I have no idea why I'm here either," and that's his <laughs> entire role. <laughs> and the other one, and the other one is they have this song at the beginning. And they start going through a bunch of cuts to different, most of them are Muppets, but they cut to Mickey Rooney at one point, who has maybe a four-word line and cut away. But it's still Mickey Rooney, who was a star of the 40s. And I don't know, it just, that one did harken back to uh, some of what made Muppets work originally. And, And obviously Steve Martin on both the original Muppet show and of course the original Muppet movie was, was part of that. Right. And I, I guess I just one last note about the Muppets. Um, when it's best, it's not, it's written at a level to where the jokes are just jokes. Um, and when yeah. it's, when it's not as good, it's when the jokes are aimed at kids. Um, so, um, the adult humor has to be in there for it to be a good Muppet movie. It really does. It definitely does. And also, damn, I don't know why I'm stuck on the Muppets, but <laughs> I am. 
We're not going to have an episode Muppet. on the Muppets, so you can go ahead. No, and... I don't think they ever had an... I'm sure they've had multiple albums, but sure. we're not going to do a Muppets no. episode. But here's a weird comparison that's just now coming to mind. The original Muppets TV show of like the 70s and 80s had <laughs> so much with Kermit and Scooter backstage just dealing with the nonsense of putting on a variety show. Right. And I'm just now putting this together of like how much that is dirty rock. <laughs> it really, As just it, like with Kermit in the Tina Fey role. <laughs> like it's similar sorts of, oh, this guest is off the rails right now, or let's go deal with this nonsense or that nonsense. Right. And that's, that's so it, it just, it works in an interesting way. Yeah, I think when they tried to redo the Muppet Show, they they it was like Kermit was supposed to be like you know Johnny Carson, and you know they were they were putting on a late night show. Um, yeah, which I don't know. It, I I think they tried to modernize it, but like it seems like they tried to modernize the thing that didn't need to be modernized. Um, putting on a stage show is still putting on a stage show, um, even if we don't watch those variety show, you know, the, the whole point of the Muppets was like, there was so many of those. Um, and I was going to bring this up earlier. Like, you know, if, if you were anywhere relatively funny, um, back in the day, they would throw a variety show at you. Um, yeah. and you know, cause variety shows are very easy to put on. Um, but we don't really have them anymore. Um, on television, um, because they, not they, really, they're just like, well, if you want to watch dancing, go watch dancing. And if you want to watch singing, go watch singing and um, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I kind of think that a, a nice variety show is kind of missing in the world these days. Um, yeah. And um, I, I, I don't think you need to put the Muppets in a late night show format just to make people understand that what's going on, really. Um, that old school theater just kind of was great. Um, yeah, and I, I, I think that if they were to attempt again, I, I would hope they would just go back to that, and not really over-explain. Um, because I, I think there's just a lot of just excess that's not needed in in that situation. Whereas you know, if it's just the theater, um, you don't really explain a whole lot. Um, yeah. Plus the the wall the uh, the old crotchety dudes i forget their names uh just make more sense. uh statler and waldorf yeah they make more sense in a um a theater kind of a situation yeah. almost vaudeville style but if not vaudeville at least more sullivan than Fallon. i'm yeah and i'm, I'm actually amazed that there i have not seen a resurgence in vaudeville um yeah at least on the local level i was actually thinking about um you know, you know me, I'm the idea guy and I never really follow through on anything except for, you know, this podcast uh, so far. Um, but I, I was, it would be cool to like, say at the Benson Theater or something, you know, put on a sure. vaudeville show and just, you know, every week have like a band and a comedian and uh, something else, you know, like, uh, I don't know if you've seen that guy that um, there's some guy in town that uh, his thing like is he does uh balloon animals while he's riding on a unicycle 
Um, yeah, totally. Like people would watch that. I'd pay to see that, right? Um, but like that's that guy's not gigging normally, right? Like he's doing um, yeah. children's birthday parties and shit. Um, but I would I would like to do a show where it's just like let's find all the the weird shit in Omaha and um, throw it on stage. Um, and I, I think that could work. It's just the fact that um, producing a show is a lot of work. And um, I don't know if I am willing to put my time into that at current, especially since I have a lot of other projects that have been put on the back burner. Um, Which is a really interesting point, though, of like whether it's the more 1920s style vaudeville or even 1960s style, just like variety show. There really isn't a we're going to do a musical number, then some comedy, then some skills, then some. Right. And then a bunch of comedy sketches in there yeah. too. And yeah. Um, the, it's really kind of a, something that um, has gone by the wayside, but I, I really think it's, it's set to make a comeback here. Um, if people just start doing it because um you know, we, we live in this world where it's just like very, uh, everything's very customized and um, personalized. And, um, you know, we've got our faces in these screens all the time. Um, I, I really think there's a, a relaxing tone to like a variety show that's kind yeah. of missing. You know? I mean, even within comedy, like if you're going just a pure comedy show, I, I can't speak for the country, but as far as what I've seen in Omaha, it's it's kind of there can be some sketch, there can be some stand up, there can be some improv, and and never the twain shall meet. And and you definitely could have an hour long show that has some sketch, some stand up, some improv, but nobody's really doing that. Right. I, w- I would say the closest thing is SNL. Right. When you do get a comedian. Oh on. yeah. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I'm talking on a local market by local market level, but yes, true. SNL. True. Um, yeah. And they'll have their musical guests. And and actually, I'm glad you brought up SNL because we would be remiss if we were to do an episode on Steve Martin uh, and not bring up the person who's um, the the second ever leading host of Saturday Night Live. Was of course Steve Martin. Who's number one? Somehow uh, he's ahead by two, I believe. Um, but Alec Baldwin has actually passed Steve Martin as most frequent host. That's, um, I mean, the dude's got good comedic chops, right? But he's not yeah. known for being a, like a comedy guy, right? No, he he tends to be the gritty, uh, the serious one within the comic world. Um, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, the dude does definitely have the the good timing. Um, yeah, for comedy, um, it's it's funny like how often somebody comes on there and you're just like, wow, that person did a really good job. Like, um, like Justin Timberlake can host like every year, as far as I'm concerned. Timberlake is one of those people who does come to mind of. Yeah. Really, really good. Um, weirdly enough, I would say, and they haven't done it in a while, 
but both Manning brothers tend to be pretty good when they're on. Yeah. I don't think they've ever done it together, but either of them, um, they both hosted and, and they're both weirdly solid comics. Right. Um, I thought, uh, I don't know if you saw the Billie Eilish episode, but I thought she did a wonderful job. I haven't. I heard good things, but I haven't actually gotten to s- around to seeing it yet. Yeah, I, I would I would definitely recommend that. You know, I know, know a lot of people don't watch SNL regularly, and I'm guilty of that as well. Um, it's it's funny how many people in, in comedy, doing comedy all the time, talk about SNL all the time, but you ask them, did you see this weekend's episode? They're like, no, nah, I don't really watch no. it anymore, um, which is uh, kind of a shame. Um, it ebbs and flows, but, and there's always the people that are going to say, oh, it's not any good. It was good when I was a kid, uh, but it's not good anymore. And that continues to happen. Um, yeah. So I, you know, maybe, you know, folks who are older, maybe they're not the target audience. Um, and I'm, well, I think it's also. It's also a little bit like classic rock, right? Like people can listen to classic rock radio and be like, "Oh, the music used to be so good," and you're sitting there like, "Yeah, you're listening to the top hits of a two-decade time period." Right. If you're listening to top forty, it's now, and it's similar with SNL. Like, oh, if you go back and watch the best of, I don't know, Dana Carvey, then you're watching the best of his. I have no idea how long he was on the show. Let's say eight years. It might have been longer than that. It might have been shorter. I don't know. Yeah. But you're watching the best of what he did for a very long span. So it's just, I think that there's something about nostalgia where you just pick out the best of everyone. Right. And yeah, if you if you only have the highlights. Right. And, and definitely. There is something to be said about... Um, target audience as well right so like um one thing somebody said one time they're like you know what this new music it just doesn't speak to me and i said exactly it's it's not speaking to you it's speaking to people you know closer to that person's age like it's it's not for you anymore Mm -hmm. sorry um you can either you know enjoy it for what it is or deride it because you know you feel it doesn't speak to you um but sorry we're all getting older and you know um if i'm you know like 22 i'm not making anything that speaks to some guy that's 42 right yeah um, you know I'm, I'm talking to you know people i know in my generation and whatnot so um yeah there's you know, snl is no different um and, you know, sometimes the cast is more talented than other times. Um, and I think, you know, Lauren is trying to make um, it more diverse in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, you know, like it used to be you couldn't be over the age of like 27 or whatever and get on the show. And I don't remember what the actual age is. So, you know, but, um, you know, these days, you know, he's trying to, you know, broaden that and. um mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately it, it does, um, you know, there's a lot of people on the cast. And so like, I think the, the fighting to get, um, sketches aired is probably a little bit more intense these days. 
Um, you could probably scale down the cast a fair amount. Right. Um, so it's just like this, um, it's good in a lot of ways, but it's bad in other ways. I mean, there's probably some really talented people on there that, you know, are writing these sketches that are just like, because there's such a volume of them being written, mm-hmm. like these brilliant sketches aren't getting aired. And, um, so hopefully like I, I know, um, from what I understand, Tim Robinson, when he was on the show, kept a lot of these sketches that he wrote in his back pocket and they ended up on, um, I think you should leave. Yeah. And so like, I, I hope there's a lot of people doing that sort of thing. Um, um, and so, um, yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, like it is, is the show getting worse? No, not necessarily. Um, are we getting farther away from it as we get older? Yes. Um, but, uh, I, I do think that, you know, there are problems with the show, but like those problems are solutions in a lot of other ways. If that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, like we're definitely off into the weeds at this point. Well, I guess we're talking about us. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know if we've given Steve Martin his due credit, but I also don't really care. Um, yeah. But we we can't talk about Steve Martin. That's the thing about Steve Martin is he is so far reaching and involved in everything. So it is hard to talk about Steve Martin without getting on tangents about the Muppets in SNL because he's part of those histories. Right. Um, well, the other thing is that how do you describe Steve Martin to somebody who has not experienced Steve Martin? Um. I, I I don't have I don't words know. for that. Um, so if this is all news for you, like you got, I, I'm actually like excited for you. Right. Like if there's somebody listening and it's just like, I don't know anything about Steve Martin. I've never heard of Steve Martin. Oh man. You're in for such a, such a roller coaster of fun. Um, experiencing all this for the first time. Um, yeah. And there's really, and and there's plenty of Steve Martin movies, um, and they're good. You know, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is is comic mastery. Um, is that Steve Martin material? No. Um, don't look at that and think that that's a Steve Martin um, bit. It's really not. Um, yeah. I would say that about most of his movies, where it's like. This is Steve Martin being the actor. This is not Steve Martin, the comic. Um, if that makes any sense. But at the same time, he is all over everything. And that's fascinating too. Like we haven't even touched on, he's a hell of a banjo player. Oh yeah. I mean, and this album starts out with a, a banjo tune. Um, which is actually yeah. kind of brilliant, um, you know, especially at the time. Um, and honestly, that joke still holds up today. The um, you're we're playing a banjo song or whatever, and talking about rambling. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that, that's a good uh, bit right there. Um, 
but yeah, they, they, uh, apparently most of his out, you know, and it's hard to figure out, um, which albums are banjo music and which ones are comedy albums. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you, you have to go and like start listening before you figure it out. And even then, like with this album, um, you could easily mistake this and go, Oh, okay. This is a banjo album because it start the way it starts out. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a, I think he's an award-winning banjo player. I believe so. Uh, he's won a Grammy for bluegrass album. Right. Like not even like ironically, like I, I listened to some of it and I said, yeah, I get it. Um, he has an album. I think it's called the crow. And this is only like 10 to 15 years ago that he put out a, a bluegrass album that on its merits as a bluegrass album, got the Grammy for bluegrass. Right. Which is odd. But, um, you know, it's just a passion of his and, um, that's mm-hmm. totally fine. Um, you know, there's not a whole lot of, uh, banjo mus- musician <laughs> out there. Um, the only other one that comes to mind is Kermit J. Frog. <laughs> sure. That was sure. a delayed laugh, but I'll take it. I mean, I, I'm sure the people who love bluegrass know what they love, but I, I get your point, too. Right. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of talented banjo players out there, but it's not like you're hearing it on the radio every day. Um, oh, definitely Unless not. you're listening to country music, but, um, yeah. Well, even then, I don't. Right. I mean, I mean, you have your Mumford and Sons or whatever, and, you know. Um, etc. Yeah, here and there, um, and uh, maybe I got that wrong. Maybe Mumford and Sons is not the band that has the banjo player, but you know what I'm talking about. I think they, but yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, uh, send your complaints to thirdonducks at gmail dot com, um, you know, or your praise if you like this show. Um, but I just like to point it out when I say something that might not be factual, and you want to argue about it. You know, send us an email. That's fine. We'll yeah. take it. So yeah, far, yeah, we'll deal uh, with that in the in the bluegrass episode that we'll never have. Right. You know, that's uh, that's very low on our uh, topic list. Uh, that's for sure. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like our, you know, we we have not we have not received a fan mail yet, Patrick. That probably makes sense. True. Like. I don't know how I would feel about having fans. Um, For this? Yeah, I have no idea. You know, I'm my only fans. Like, you know, it's only for my fans, right? So I don't get a whole lot of feedback yeah. there either. Um, you know, I, I, I'd like to read a chapter from Don Quixote every night uh, before I go to bed. Um, yeah, so far. Uh, a landmark, landmark work of literature. True. Um, but you know, so far I, I think I only get people that are like flipping through randomly and they stop yeah. for a minute, you know, and you know, I, I, I think the people that are listening are just like, what the, is this guy really doing what I think he's doing? And that's it. Uh, so yeah, I'm not really yeah. making money on the only fans. It's, it's a, it's a shame. 
Or you just get the hardcore, like, Miguel Cervantes people who are just like, yes! Give me all the Quixote content there is. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I honestly only picked that book because I bought it and it's sitting on my uh, nightstand and I think I read a page and a half and um, set it down and never picked it back up. Um, yeah. I didn't it's even a big get, one. Yeah, I didn't even get far enough. Yeah, it's, it's about a thousand pages. I didn't even get uh, so far into it that I started to understand the humor of it yet. Um, yeah. And uh, the other interesting thing about buying a Don Quixote book is that you find out that there's like 17 different translations of the book. Oh, definitely. And that certain people are so into the book that they've read them all and they have a rating scale um, based on um, accuracy versus um, keeping the humor, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. Well, it's a landmark, landmark piece. Um, yeah, some I, have argued the first like modern novel, even. Right. I don't know if I'll go that far, but there are scholars who will say that. Um, and it is like if you look late t- late sixteenth, early seventeenth century, at like those pieces of literature that were hugely influential, the top two probably be Quixote and Hamlet, but that has nothing to do with Steve Martin. So whatever. True. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm going to leave that to the scholars because I'm not going to go back and read, um, old novels from, you know, that time period. Yeah, no, I haven't. I've read those two pieces. I've read Hamlet and I read excerpts from, yeah. But I'll say I've read it. Um, I don't know how you get through the public school system in the United States without reading Hamlet. I really don't. I think I read it like five semesters in a row at one point between high school and college. Like, for some reason, every semester where we're like, oh, it's Hamlet. I'm like, all right, great. Um, yeah. It's too long. It's too long. It is. True. Um. Homeboy gets captured by pirates and released by pirates, and that's not a major plot point. <laughs> At all. It's just a like it's a throwaway line. I'm like, oh yeah, the pi- they were they were shipping me away, but then the pirates came and now I'm back. It Yeah. Whatever. I think you know This is also not the Hamlet episode. Yeah, Shakespeare wrote himself into a corner and he's just like um, if we keep going this direction, this is not going to be very good. Uh, so, uh, pirates. Okay. So yeah. oh, problem solved back to the main plot. Um, yeah, I, I like to think that that's how that, that went. <laughs> Could be right. So yeah, Steve Martin and Hamlet, that would be, that'd be cool. I'd watch that. Oh, that's interesting. I could actually see Steve Martin being a really solid Polonius. Okay. But that doesn't really matter. Um, um, well, I mean, while we're on the subject, I mean, you've, se- you've seen the movie Strange Brew, right? 
it's been a minute, but yeah. Rick Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas, right? Um yeah. that's um that's Hamlet. Oh sure. Yeah, it's uh they're Rosencrantz yeah. and Guildenstern and um the lady that inherits the brewery is Hamlet. Um uh, that's, Definitely. that's they they're very they're very uh if people ask them directly, like, is this Hamlet? They say, Yep. Um that that was yeah. the basis of the movie. So on a uh, on a similar subject, you've seen the movie Lion King, right? Yes, that's Hamlet. Yeah, basically. Um, yeah, it ends a little bit happier, but other than that, <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of movies if you go through and just like, oh, this is this Shakespeare thing. If you yeah. if you're familiar with Shakespeare at all, um, which is honestly one of the reasons why I picked up uh, Don Quixote. Because I was mm-hmm. interested in, you know, reading it, understanding the plot, and then um, I wanted to like convert it into something else, you know, if you know if I liked it, and then they convert it into something in space or something like that, uh, write, yeah. a, write a screenplay or whatever. Um, because you know, hey man, there's there's only so many different plot lines in the world. Um, yeah. Um, I, I I remember like being in an English class once where they told us there's this many, and I was thinking there's probably at least two more, but um, <laughs> but at basis, you know, it's just like there's very few. Yeah. And it's amazing how many stories that we can come up with based around those uh, simple um, ideas. Well, and that's part of, and, and I say this as a. You know, former theater major and a, and a lover of Shakespeare, but also like a detractor of him. That's part of the Bard's thing, too, is he was a master adapter and happened to be writing adaptations of things that by now scholars know. I think it's like 30. I think there's only two of his works that they don't find an earlier version that he just adapted of. Uh, but he happened to be writing around the dawn of the printing press, so he gets credit for centuries worth of work as the the version that that lived on. True. I mean, there's you know, we could start talking about the Bible and about how most of those stories are were passed down um, generation to generation, right? Um, and then we're yeah. Con- we're not quite what you know what the Bible wrote. But, also, um, I mean, if we're going if we're going biblical, we can also go like, oh, really? Jesus, Moses, Arthur, and Zeus all have the exact same origin story. <laughs> of there was a prophecy that said that this baby would do some things that people wouldn't like, so they killed all the babies except for this one lived. Sorry, not Arthur, Mordred, but. Arthurian legend of it, it is just weird that Moses and Mordred and Jesus and Zeus are like the one survivor of kill all the babies right I mean and you could even argue loosely that you know Star Wars is kind of the same you know they they hid Luke and Leia from you know the um, from you know, Vader, dark, yeah, from the dark side because blah blah blah, yeah. 
Yeah, like... But lazier. I can't give True. Star Wars the same credit. Like, they hid Luke with his uncle on his father's homeland. Right. Leia, sure. Send her with Bail Organa. She's going to Dantooine or whatever it is. Alderaan, that's why. Yeah. Alderaan. Um, and she's far away. I get that. Putting Luke, like, right next to Obi-Wan, where Anakin grew up. I don't know. That that whole series is just a little bit too drawn to Tatooine, and it's not interesting anymore. Yeah. But, I, and if we want to talk about Star Wars plot holes, you know, like... During, I don't think we do. There's too much. D- during major plot points, like, I can sense this person. They're on this planet. And nobody ever sensed Obi-Wan Kenobi that entire time. That Luke was yeah. growing up? Uh, I don't, yeah, don't buy it. Well, and now Disney Plus is going to do an Obi-Wan series. Maybe it started already. I don't think it has, because I would have watched it if it had started already. But they're going to do it. They'll probably wait till Moon Knight is over. Um, yeah. They tend to stagger I will, these things. I will 100% watch Obi-Wan. I don't think I'll want to, but I will do it. Oh, of course, right? Um, I, I was watching I've this. been watching Moon Knight very good or maybe it isn't i don't know i'm enjoying it so far but i enjoy it um i was watching this um there was like a seven minute simpsons clip like it's basically the simpsons like in the marvel universe and um there's this scene where it's like they they introduce all these simpsons characters as marvel characters as well um like barney is iron man and etc because he's the drunk get it um, yeah. I don't know if you're a comic book nerd or, or not, but like in the comics, I get that. Tony Hawk is an alcoholic. Yeah, Stark, but sure. sure, sure. Let's go with Tony Hawk, but yeah. it is Stark. Yeah, Tony Hawk. Yeah. Um, but like, there's it, a small but important difference <laughs> between Tony Hawk and Tony Stark. Just yeah, very small. But what if there isn't? We're about to go into the multiverse of madness, which by the time we air this, people have probably already seen that movie. Oh, right. If honestly, at this point, if we get to the next Doctor Strange movie and Tony Hawk shows up as like some sort of like alternate Iron universe Man. version of Tony Stark, <laughs> I would just be like, "All right, <laughs> yeah, I, good I, on you, Disney. This was a a confusing but great choice." Yeah, I I think I would. Oh man, that would signal like the the end of things uh, you know as far as the marvel um you know cinematic universe is concerned hell no disney and kevin feige are like oh yeah you thought that was weird we're just getting warmed up yeah i'm i'm looking forward to like a bunch of um mcu deadpool slash howard the duck type movies where it just gets we get absurd yeah and maybe maybe we can make more spider spider ham movies get john mulaney on the line um, I think it's gonna get real weird. Yeah, um, and I'm fine with that. I, I'm, I would love that. But that is something that, both with Moon Knight on Disney Plus and with the Netflix shows in particular, uh, Daredevil and Luke Cage. Like, I think the universe is ready to go, just like darker than a family-friendly Avengers type of thing affair. 
Right, which but we'll it, see. Which is what Netflix was doing for a while, right? Which yeah, um, yeah, that's why I brought up Daredevil and right, and they brought those all over to Disney now. And I, you know, when they announced Moon Knight, I was just like, how are they going to do that on Disney Plus? Like Moon Moon Knight's very dark, um, and it's a lot darker than what we're watching. But what we're watching is yeah. actually quite. Um, fascinating and um compelling so i'm i'm happy with it um but it definitely could have gone a lot darker um and more could and may and may still may still do oh gore is a different thing but but i mean you do have i can acknowledge the most recent moon knight episode in this discussion right I know this has nothing to do with Steve Martin, but I, mean, I, I just I watched it the other day, so um, yesterday. Okay, cool. in fact. Here's the thing: you have the main character in your Disney miniseries is like injured and in some sort of I don't know tomb, not tomb, but shrine to Konshu, I guess is where he is, and he takes his revolver and he's about to like. You have the main character in a Disney show about to straight up shoot himself in the head and kill himself, and that's not a major plot point. Similar to the pirates in Hamlet, it's just like, yep, we can gloss over this. Right. I mean, well, I mean, we're talking about the latest episode? episode yeah, I'm saying when, he, when, when Konshu talks to Mark, episode five. Okay, well, because the the last episode I watched was all like, um, like, basically he's dead. Yeah, but when they have the flashback to uh, when Konshu first finds him, Mark is about to kill himself at that moment. Um, And that's not a thing that they even, like, really acknowledge. True. I mean, but... It's one of those things where it's just like it's fairly obvious that he's um, grieving because uh, you know he tried to prevent this horrible thing from happening and couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, plus the fact that he, he's you know he's a professional. Um, he knows he's going to bleed out and die. Um, so he's just. Oh, that's a good point. He he's just. Um, and they don't say this at all. There's no subtext for it, but um, the dude's bleeding pretty heavily, and he's he's just crawling into this space to, um, I don't know. It just seems instinctual um, for animals to do that, um, just to crawl into like a place that seems safe, um, and just wait to die. Um, but he's yeah. just he's not he's not the waiting around kind of guy, you know. He's gonna. He's going to end it. But, uh, yeah, we're way off of Steve Martin at this point. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, oh, anyway, uh, how we got there. Uh, so they're doing this uh, Marvel Simpsons crossover thing. And they got all these characters. And in the background, there's a guy holding a sign saying, this is what happens when Disney buys Fox and Marvel. Mm. Yeah. It's 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 a it's a good joke. Um, 
could you imagine 20 years ago that this would be where we're at? Like Disney owning all this crap. Oh, it's horrible. I don't know, but here's the thing. Like I can't, I'm not upset either. Well, they keep putting out good content. So that's the thing Um, is like, it's not bad. Like (laughs) MCU in particular, I think has gotten better. Right. Since Disney took over Star Wars, as much as people want to complain about it, like, yeah, episode nine was a bit of a mess. Right. But, but Mandalorian is pretty, I, let's not, people romanticize Star Wars way too much too. Like, right. Neither the prequel trilogy nor the original. And I know that that's sacrilege to say, but neither of them were really that great groundbreaking visually i will give them that but i mean the prequels were boring right um but revenge of of the sith was an okay film all of that but yeah the other two were pretty bad political stuff like is needed to set up um episodes four five and six and um without it it's just it seemed there's those movies seem hollow, right? Because mm-hmm. we're not getting the um, the background for why all this is happening. Um, and then episodes seven and eight are decently good. I enjoyed those. And then episode nine. I liked eight a lot. Feels, I know a lot of people didn't, but I liked eight a lot. Right. And then episode nine just feels like, like an epilogue almost. Like this has mm-hmm. nothing to do with the main plot. Um, and that became very apparent to me. I'm, I just got done playing the the Lego uh, Skywalker Saga game. And oh, is that any good? Oh yeah, it's wonderful. If you like those Lego games, like it's like all of those, but like longer. Mm. So I'm, I haven't played any of the Lego ones. But oh, all those Lego games are. Great. I know people like them. Yeah. Okay, it's one of my favorite series. Um, but um, so it's just like I'm playing through all the episodes, and it's just like. Episode nine just feels just like, like something completely different. Um, sure. And uh, I I need to go back and actually watch the movies, and um, because I don't I think I've only seen seven, eight, and nine once each, so I probably should yeah, uh, go back and watch them, um, you know, in order, or whatever. I probably should do that for the prequels as well. Just yeah, I don't need to do it for the the main three because I've seen those so many times that I I know exactly what's going on. Um, but yeah, that's you know because Steve Martin's such an important uh, Jedi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I think Steve Martin would have a purple saber as well, like Mace Windu. I love the idea, and I guess this is just true. That Sam Jackson just demanded that he have a purple one, and they were like, yeah, "All right." Yeah, um, there's a piece of film where like Sam Jackson's asking Lucas that like directly, mm-hmm. and, and George is just like, "Well, I guess if you want a purple one, we give you a purple one." And it's it's pretty funny. I want to stand out in the crowd scenes. <laughs> All right, cool. Right, and uh, well, I can know, appreciate that. If you follow the video games at all, if you played any of the Star Wars video games, there's like a yellow one and a cyan one 
Like it, it's it's all based on I the crystal. Like cyan, that's a good color. It's it's all based on the crystal that you get, um, mm-hmm. which you have to go into this cave, and the crystal chooses you. You don't choose it, right? Uh-huh. That's kind of like this weird thing, kind of like the Sorting Hat in Harry Potter. Um, yeah, which we can get into the similarities of Star Wars and Harry Potter if you want, but I don't think we need to go down that road today. It's the same plot. Um, I mean, there's a lot of like monomythology, sort of. Um, orphan boy living with his uncle finds, yeah. it, finds out that he has magic powers um, from a bearded man that comes to rescue him. Um, yeah. I mean, if you get rid of the magic powers, finds out that you have some like sort of special duty would also apply to Frodo. Frodo doesn't have the special powers, but this sort of like, yep, I'm just chilling here, and some big bearded man comes in and says, "You have a bigger purpose." Yeah, yeah, that that works too. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Harry Potter goes to school, Luke Skywalker goes off into space. I mean, I guess maybe Star Wars is more akin to, um, yeah, the Lord of the Rings, right? So. Um, but I, I I do think like they're all very similar and that's okay. Yeah, definitely. Because, uh, it took a long time for people to actually notice that. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, yeah, I don't know uh, if I have anything else to say about this album. I mean, it's great. Um, for early Steve Martin, definitely. Yeah. I, I enjoyed the album. Um, There were definitely parts where I was like, this isn't polished, this isn't... But it didn't matter. Right. So... Yeah, I mean, uh, at at the end of the day, it's about entertaining the audience. And... um, You know, uh, people like you and I, we're very critical. We, We see this through a critical lens that a lot of people are not viewing it through, right? Um, so I, you know, I, I think what looks unpolished to us, but works anyway, um, you know, most people aren't seeing the unpolished part at all, you know? Yeah. So, um, and I guess that applies to most people listening to this. Um, you know, I assume y'all are, you know, students of the craft in some way, shape or form. Um, and so you're probably looking at things with a critical eye that, um, most people who just want to be entertained aren't, um, experiencing. Um, yeah, there's something to be said about that. Um, and I guess I just did say it. So moving on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, it feels like at this point, um, you got anything to plug there, Patrick? Because I, I don't think I got anything to plug. I don't really. No. Yeah, I'm in I'm in an arena run again, but who knows how long that'll last, so I won't bother plugging that. Oh, right. Um, yeah, well, how many wins are you in? I forgot. It's like four or oh, five. Oh, I don't even know. No, probably not that. But yeah, mm-hmm. let's hope by the time this airs, sure. Right. And I noticed you weren't on the last show. You... No, I didn't show up. Yeah, you couldn't make Still it. Still my team, but 
Right. Yeah. I was in Lincoln. Uh, which is so far away from Omaha. Yeah, I mean, no way you could have made that. Um, uh-uh. Anyway, um, well, congrats on that. I hope that uh, keeps going there. Um, yeah, we'll see. Your, we'll see. Your name up on the uh, chalkboard there for, um, you know, a winning streak. Um, yeah. Are you in that territory? Already for most points. So. Uh, say what? I'm sorry. I missed that. Yeah, that didn't come out very clearly at all. Already on the wall for Moist Bandits, so maybe a second team will get up on the wall, but uh, we'll oh, see. Nice. Like, I hope to someday be in a team that actually wins one week. Um, yeah. I I know I've you know gone and done the best show, better of the two shows, um, but still lost because of popularity. Um, mm-hmm. And that's fine. And I, I think we've discussed that previously on this show. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm not bitter. Um, really? But yeah, some people take that, uh, the arena, like way too seriously. Oh, absolutely. And they get super mad about it. And it's just like, this is supposed to be fun. Just calm down. This isn't going to affect your career, quote unquote, at all. Um, people can't see the air quotes that I'm doing, so I'm verbalizing yeah. them. Um, yeah. But anyway. Um, yeah, I don't think I have anything to plug currently. Um, I did do, I did do an open mic on Thursday and I finally did this. Hmm. I, I did a bit that I wrote in uh, 2020, like during the height of COVID. Right. Um, yeah. And it was, it was it's basically a, a, a bit on fucking donuts. Um, just being so lonely and hard up that, you know, i started, you know, having sex with donuts. Oh, okay. And you know what? I was, I just, it was a very, you know, it was, uh, I wrote it and I was just like, I'll, I'm not going to perform this. Right. Um, just because it just makes me seem, it, if done incorrectly, it makes me seem creepy as fuck. Um, yeah. Right. Cause like who, who sticks their penis in a donut. Right. I don't know. This guy apparently, um, you know, according to my imaginary joke world. Uh, but yeah. you know what? It killed. It it killed. Like, All right. Like, there was some bits that I threw in last minute that didn't do as well. Uh, but everything that I wrote, like, way back when, just people were just dying. Like, oh, um, nice. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, this material really does work. Um. You know, um, I'm, you know, I, I think I need to polish that bit up, even though, um, it feels embarrassing. Um, I think I should just own that. Like I'm doing a character at that point and just, uh, perform it and, um, be okay with it. And if people really think that that's what I was doing over COVID, then, um, they don't get it. And they're probably not very fun at parties, you know? That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. But, you know, other than that, I don't have anything to plug. Um, just something that I was, I was proud that something I wrote did so well and, and performed. Good. So, um, so that was good. And that, uh, that feels really good. Um, it's, uh, it's very encouraging. And so I, you know, 
definitely need to keep honing that craft um, and and see, you know, where that takes me. But um, yeah, other than that, I, you know, don't have anything going on, um, you know, at least uh, creative wise. Um, hmm. Trying to think of if, if we're missing anything else that we generally talk about. Um, do we have to talk about what's next week? Oh, I suppose we do. Right. Um, yeah. Next week. Um, um, you know, I, I brought up Mitch Hedberg earlier. Um, okay. Do you think it's time? I think Is that within our time? Fr- do we even care about our time frame at this point? Um, I guess it's, it's a loose, I guess it's a loose interpretation. Um, sure. So let me look up Mitch Hedberg, Wikipedia, discography. Um, well, he does have one that uh, came out in 1999. Ah, oh, damn it. That counts. Uh, so, th- so that does count. We can stick within our, um, you know, 20th century thing. Um, I, I still think there's plenty of ground to cover in the 20th century. Of, oh, absolutely. Um, uh, just trying. I, I think part of my goal with this was to uh, expose folks who normally wouldn't be exposed to things, to certain things like 2000 year old man and um, main yeah. Nichols and may things like that, that um, even, even I wouldn't have really sought out had it not been for the, you know, the excuse of this uh, podcast. So, um, you know, anything within the last 20 some odd years, right. You know, since the year 2000, um, I think that's all readily available and um, not so far out of the zeitgeist that it's, it's not going to be covered. Right. Um, Right. That being said, I, you know, Mitch Hedberg is, was it, it's one of those guys that like what, we know he would have gone on to do like better things uh, had he not died. Uh, and I forget how he died. Um, but uh, okay. March 30th, 2005. Um, he was in a hotel. Um, it was an overdose, wasn't it? Um, oh, geez. Okay. So his death was formally announced on April 1st. So fans believed it was an April Fool's Day. Yeah. Um, initially believed to be a result of congenital heart defect, but in it looks like uh, cocaine and heroin. Yeah, so it was not probably a combination of all three of those things. Sure, sure. Um, but um, had a heart issue already, and then too too many drugs. Yeah. Um, it's sad. And that'll do it. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, like, the difference between 05 and 2000 at this point isn't that big of a deal. So whichever album we pick of his will work. And also, let's be real, it'll, it'll just be the Hedberg issue no matter which album we're focused on. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, however... Uh, generally, when we pick okay. a comedian, we do their first album, right? Um, if we're not looking at Grammys, right? Um, and I don't think he ever won. Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking about um, 
just doing the one from 99 and then we don't have to um, break our strategic grill locations. Right. Uh, which is a great title. And it's a, it's a very Mitch Hedberg uh, kind of a phrase. Um, yeah. So no, I'm down with this. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Yeah. We're doing it for the people that wouldn't normally um, be able to seek out or uh, find a Mitch Hedberg bit. Um, yeah. And so I, I oh, think, this should be fun because he's so heavily one-liners. Right. Right. We could talk about his one-liners all day, right? Um, I think that'll be most of this album, but we'll find out, won't we? We will. Um, and I, I look forward to it. Um, fun fact about this album, I, I started to listen to it while I was working, but I could not concentrate on both. So I stopped and then last night I um, I was on a date and I remembered, oh crap, I didn't listen to this album yet. And um, I got home about midnight and I listened to it um, in bed on my phone um, and I fell asleep like four or five times. And so I kept rewinding. <laughs> And, you know, making sure I listen to all the bits on mm-hmm. the album, or at least each track on the album, um, before I went to sleep. And so that's, that's how I did this album. Um, nice. At least, you know, the, the back, you know, 75% of it. Um, all right, cool. I got cool. her done. Um, nice. Well, I'll my, catch up and listen to it. Which uh, reminds me, we probably should do a Larry the Cable Guy episode at some point, uh, just because he is our hometown hero, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, not that I am particularly a fan of him. I mean, he's he's no Jeff Foxworthy. He's but, uh, sure. You know, he's got a a place in the comedy world, but um, he does. He does. He legitimately does. Right. Um. And we can talk about his fake accent and like how it's all a bit and blah, blah, blah. Because he is from Omaha and obviously nobody here talks like that. Um, maybe the get her done part. Um, that's a very Midwestern thing, really. Um, all right. But anyway, uh, yeah, we well, can talk. I think for this week. We'll do Mitch Hedberg. We look yeah. at Hedberg. Yeah, yeah. And then we can dive into the blue collar fun later yeah maybe we just do a whole episode on blue collar or i don't know uh, if we want to do that really i i yeah i don't know if we want to do that i do i do feel like at least larry and foxworthy weren't their own right and then um who else is in there Engvall the, being the bill engvall is the engvall i believe is i guess the, there's a fourth one kind of yeah he's like the i can picture him but i don't remember his name He's that guy in the Rat Pack that nobody remembers. Um, Joey, whatever his name was. I, I can, uh, I can picture him. And then um, is Ron White in there too as well? It might be Ron White who I'm thinking of. Who uh, Ron White is uh, uh, has a piece in our um, theme song there. Um, the six bouncers that throws him like a frisbee. Yeah, that's a Ron White. Pick. I'm pretty. Sure- I'm pretty sure it is Ron White. So it's Jeff Foxworthy, Larry the Cable Guy, Bill Engvall, and Ron White are the Ron White are the blue collar comedy tour. 
It's not like we don't have the internet right in front of us, right? Yeah, but... Yeah. There was a movie... They put out a movie of it at one point, so... Uh, Jeff Foxworthy, Bill Engvall, Larry the Cable Guy, Ron White. Oh, we did it right. And then there's just okay. some yeah. bit parts here. So we, we got it right. On the first All right, we're right. Good. First try. Look at that. And it's not even something that we particularly enjoy. Although, I really enjoy Ron White. I haven't seen I, him in a while. I'm not wild about Larry the Cable Guy. I really do like the other three. Ron White, I don't remember all that well. I remember liking, but I don't remember much of him. I do remember really liking both Foxworthy and Angval, even though not necessarily being part of their core demographic. Right. I do like both of them. I haven't seen a lot of any of these guys in a while. I mean, although, you know... Jeff- yeah, I don't think they've done much in the last 20 years. I know, like, they're I, very, like... Right. I know Foxworthy just I don't know, they feel like special. But, um... I've been meaning to watch that, but I haven't. I have, too. I... I heard that the first joke is literally like one of those dumbass millennial jokes that you hear all the time about like, I don't know, uh, participation ribbons or some shit. Yeah. Which kind of makes me not want to listen to it. Um, Cause uh, it, I don't know. It always, I, I love the participation joke stuff because none of those participation trophies were for the kids. <laughs> True, but it's never told that way. It's always told like oh, I know it's never told that way. Entitled kids. All these entitled little kids they get their participation trophies. It's like yeah, where do those the kids didn't come care? From? It's the stupid fuck. It's the stupid parents who were like, "I paid a couple hundred for you to be the next Michael Jordan, and you're not." Um. <laughs> yeah, it's here's it's a ribbon. The parents acting like children, basically. Cool. Um, but anyway, yeah. Yeah, but let's do um, let's do Hedberg for the next week. We yeah. can think about blue collar later. At some point, we have to get to Richard Pryor. Um, oh right, we shit. How have we gotten this far? Not done Richard Pryor. We have a plan. We're gonna stick with it. Um, yeah, but we can talk about Richard Pryor. Some we could do time. Hedberg Pryor. We could do Hedberg then Pryor then blue collar. Well, next week we're gonna forget what we talked about. We'll this figure week, it out. We'll, we'll do Hedberg next else. week. <laughs> All right, Uh, so this has been um, this has been the show. So we're gonna end it now. Yeah. Um, Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Not not a whole lot of to do. It's uh, much ado about nothing. Ah, another Shakespeare. Right. We just we I brought it I brought it back. So I think that's a good place to end. This has been Third One Ducks, brought to you by Brady Cox and Patrick Kilcoin. Opening music, Ska of the Mountain King by Johnny Boyle, available at Upbeat.io. And that's Upbeat with two Ps. Yeah, I like Much Ado About Nothing. That's a good play.